Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Thanks for joining us. The last few years have been tough on our ability to focus. Brain fog, distracted attention, and the inability to just sit down and and do the thing feel like the new norm sometimes. But for some adults, this overwhelming feeling isn't situational. It's it's brain chemistry. ADHD, a condition we often associate with children, is being diagnosed in a growing number of adults who are often both surprised and relieved to find out they have a reason for the lack of focus. Women, in particular, are being diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in adulthood because we've learned that the way ADHD shows up in girls makes it easy to overlook the condition. So today, we're going to talk about it. I have two guests in the studio with me who can tell us how ADHD affects focus and lifestyle, how it's diagnosed, and to give us effective ways to manage the condition. And I definitely want to hear from you too. Were you diagnosed with ADHD as an adult? If so, how did that happen? And how does knowing this help you understand yourself better? You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, that number is 651-227-6000 or call 800-242-2828. Let's bring in our guest. I have in front of me, Dr. Lydia Zalovska, a psychiatrist and associate professor at the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Minnesota Medical School. She's also the author of The Mindfulness Prescription for Adult ADHD and the author of a new guide for mental health and medical providers on how to use mindfulness as a way to help adults with ADHD. Dr. Zalovska, so glad you could join us in the studio today. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Also with us is Liz Adams. Liz is a neuropsychologist and a woman with ADHD. She owns and manages Minnesota Neuropsychology in St. Paul. She and her team assess dyslexia, ADHD, and other learning differences in children and adults. And in 2020, Liz also started leading workshops for women with ADHD. She has a PhD in neuropsychology. Good morning, Liz. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Angela. Thank you for having me. So let's get right to it. Liz, you were diagnosed with ADHD when you were 30 years old. And so I really do want to hear your story. What was going on in your life that made you seek out an evaluation? What what were your symptoms, so to speak? Yeah. So um, an interesting story, I was 30 years old, and I was just getting done with eight years of uh, education and clinical training in the field of neuropsychology. Oh, wow. (laughs) And um, my best friend is also a neuropsychologist, and we were discussing ADHD, um, and she said, Lizzie, (laughs) isn't this something that you relate to yourself? And I thought, well, that can't be me. <laughs> no, that's a friend. Exactly. She's like, have you looked in the mirror? Exactly. <laughs> like one of those moments? Exactly. And so... Um, but so what does that mean? What was she seeing? She was seeing... Um, uh, we worked together in the same office, and she was seeing me get up from my desk probably three times an hour <laughs> and having difficulty sitting and focusing to do the tedious work of my job and enjoying and thriving in interpersonal interactions and creative ideas generation, but struggling with the impl- implementation and follow through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at the time, I thought to myself, like many women with ADHD, well, gosh, that can't be me because I've never been disruptive. I've never been hyperactive. I've never been kind of a problem kid or adult. Um, And also, um, I've never really, uh, I had never thought that 
um, my struggles were unique. I thought, well, doesn't everyone struggle with this? Doesn't everyone live like this, right? how would you know? How would you know? Right, because life is hard. Exactly. And so what was it like for you to be diagnosed? Or what you what sent you looking for a diagnosis? Um, once I kind of... Uh, had that filter and that 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 lens and applied it back in retrospect to my own lived experience and my current struggles, I started to realize kind of click, 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 yeah, this actually does fit with me. Forgetfulness, time management, all these things. Because you you've thir- you're thirty at that point. So you've yep. lived you've lived some life. Exactly. So you have examples you can point to. Exactly. You know. Yep, exactly. And so what difference did it make for you once you knew that's what it is. Yeah. Um, uh, the first thing I would say is um, the understanding that my condition was neurobiological in nature, meaning that it stems from a brain difference that's there from birth, gave me a lot of um, perspective on self-compassion and mm-hmm. understanding that my brain is different. And this is just kind of my way of interacting in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing I would say is that it allowed me and continues to allow me to this day to reinterpret or kind of put a different lens on experiences that are really difficult. Um, things like um, not remembering things and um, mm-hmm. having difficulty with time management, not showing up on time and having um, struggles, um, holding things in mind that I really do care about and that I really am um, wanting to remember, but genuinely struggling with that. Uh, Dr. Uh, Zalewska, I'm imagining women across Minnesota taking a moment and maybe exhaling or, or relating to this uh, as someone, as a psychiatrist. What do you hear in Liz's story? You know, what, <clears throat> what I hear is the common pattern of girls or women being diagnosed later in life and not being recognized early on and questioning, you know, do I have ADHD because I'm not that stereotype of a of disruptive child. And so that that happens quite a bit. Where does that come from? Um, you know, uh, the, the early descriptions of ADHD and, you know, ADHD has been recognized back in 19th century. Mm. So um, it's not a new diagnosis. But the early descriptions of it um, are of boys that are disruptive, that mm-hmm. are, you know, can't sit still, mm-hmm. uh, can't focus. Uh, you know, they're, they're difficult in some way uh, to adults because they don't listen to directions. They don't follow through. Uh, so we do have that picture in mind often when we think of ADHD. And for many, many years, we thought that ADHD is something that only affects children and then children grow out of it. So we have the stereotype of ADHD boys that then grow out uh, of the condition, and it doesn't really affect them as adults. And we now know, um, you know, for for a couple of decades at least, that ADHD in adults is a thing that many children with ADHD continue to have symptoms, continue to struggle as adults. And, um, you know, many of them were not recognized when Mm -hmm. they were children. So they're coming to be recognized now. I'm going back to the to sort of the playground because I'm envisioning this uh, little boy in like maybe, you know, jeans and running around and, 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 and maybe not listening to uh, direction. But I'm thinking about the girls on the playground too. What does ADHD look like in a little girl? So we do know that girls uh, tend to present more with the inattentive symptoms. 
as opposed to the as opposed to hyperactive uh, impulsive symptoms. So ADHD is not one thing. We know mm-hmm. that there are three different types of ADHD. Mm. Um, we have um, type of ADHD when a person is struggling mostly with inattention and d- disorganization. We have a type uh, um, uh, when the person has a lot of hyperactivity, a lot of impulsivity. And then there's a type that combines the symptoms. We call it ADHD combined presentation, which in fact is the most common. But when you look at girls and women with ADHD, they often present with the inattentive only subtype of ADHD. So a little girl may be more quiet on the playground. She may be a little spacey. She might not be joining the group as well because she is. She may have some difficulties with social um, skills. Mm-hmm. Um, she may be daydreaming and uh, missing out on cues. So when the teacher says, "Let's go back to the, you know, to the classroom," she's the one that looks a little confused mm-hmm. uh, and befuddled because she didn't quite hear it. So in that sense, she's not as disruptive and not um, demanding attention as much as a uh, somebody who has the hyperactive uh, impulsive symptoms, um, and therefore. You know, teachers or the parents may not think this is something I have to address. Uh, Liz, I I know you have some thoughts about the word deficit uh, in uh, the diagnosis uh, attention uh, deficit disorder. What is it it you don't like about that word? Or is there a better way to describe it? Describe it. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, the term attention deficit is is an old term um, from the 1960s originally, um, and uh, what we've learned uh, since that time is that people with ADHD don't necessarily have a deficit of attention. In fact, many people with ADHD, I like to say, have a surplus of attention. They've got plenty of attention to go ah. around. The deficit is in the ability to allocate regulate and sustain their attention Mm -hmm. toward a given task at a given time. And that is at the core of executive function. So really attention deficit could be reframed as an executive function deficit, difficulty managing one's own attention. So in a work setting, uh, Liz, uh, you, I'm thinking you as a graduate student uh, working, um, how do you relate to the description of ADHD as brain fog? I use that in an introduction. Does that sound right to you? Or does that how it show up in the daily life for an adult who is, is maybe working or managing a household? Yeah. So I like to think of, um, you know, brain fog or um, sometimes focus difficulties as more like a wave form um, where um, everyone experiences vacillations in their focus or their ability to um, designate their focus towards a certain thing. Um, Um, But people with ADHD tend to have a higher amplitude of that wave form, Mm -hmm. where when their focus is high, it's real high, and it's almost hard to kind of get away from a topic sometimes, that Mm hyper-focus. But when the attention or the focus is low or that kind of brain fog state, it can feel almost impossible to shepherd or manage that attention toward the task you're trying to focus on. Uh, Our phone lines are filling up, and I'm going to go to to our listeners in just a moment, but uh, Dr. Zalewska, I want to get this important question in before we start taking calls. What is the testing and screening process uh, involved? How does how does one get tested or diagnosed uh, for ADHD? What happens if if I come to someone like you, or where do I go? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, there are different pathways that people take to get diagnosed. 
Uh, one way is to talk to a clinician, whether it's a psychologist, neuropsychologist, psychiatrist, and really uh, talk about the life story. Uh, we use questionnaires to screen for symptoms in childhood and adulthood, mm -hmm. uh, but it is the interview and kind of telling the story of how you were as a child, as an adolescent, as an adult, where you're struggling, mm -hmm. and having a clinician that knows what to listen for, uh, that can make the diagnosis. A mental health provider. Typically, Ideally. it's a mental health provider. Sometimes there may be even a primary care doctor who has an interest in ADHD and understands mm -hmm. um, what ADHD is in adults. They can really start the process and then also determine what else is needed. Um, you know, ADHD doesn't travel alone typically in adults. You often have other mental health conditions like anxiety, depression, substance use may be in the picture, um, sleep difficulties may be in the picture. We also know, for, particularly for women, they can struggle with emotional dysregulation. They may be given other labels like borderline personality dis disorder. So a, a clinician um, has to be versed in those other conditions to parse mm -hmm. out what is ADHD, what are these other conditions, and um, also look at physical conditions, you know, you, it's it's helpful to make sure that there's no thyroid uh, dysregulation or problems in the picture, that someone is not uh, struggling from a sleep disorder like sleep apnea. So you want to rule out all these things first mm -hmm. before you say that somebody has ADHD. I love what you, how you described that. You said ADHD doesn't travel alone. So meaning people with other conditions may also have ADHD. Correct. Right. All right. I, I want to bring our listeners in. Thank you, uh, doctor. And, and thank you, Liz. Mm -hmm. you, you've explained this uh, very well. We're talking about ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in adults and how many women with ADHD are overlooked. They never get a diagnosis or treatment. Do you have ADHD? Did, you know, I want to know, how did you discover it? And how does knowing this now, having that diagnosis, how does knowing this help you understand yourself better? Call us at 651-227-6000 or call 800-242-2828. Let's talk to some of our listeners right now in Minneapolis. Ray is on the phone. Hi, Ray. Thank you for waiting. And what do you want to ask or share with us about ADHD? Hi, I just wanted to say that um, I, yeah, I was somebody who was diagnosed with ADHD later in life, um, but I am transmasculine, and I know that ADHD disproportionately affects the transgender community. Um, most of the trans people that I know in my life identify as having ADHD and, you know, struggled in school and was diagnosed with, like, depression and anxiety before anything else, and it was a huge relief for me. Um, to figure out that I had ADHD later on in life, um, unfortunately, after I got through school. Um, and then, you know, that being befuddled and having um, gender dysphoria as well made things even more complicated. But when we talk about women having ADHD getting diagnosed later in life, that's definitely true. And that definitely affects transmasculine people as well. Thank you, Ray, uh, in Minneapolis. And Dr. Uh, Zalewska, uh, is that something that you hear uh, when we look at gender identity, uh, that we see people who also, you know, discover I have ADHD as well? Yes, uh, you know, ADHD can affect men, women, and people also from tra transgender um, community. Um, you know, it, it doesn't differentiate, it can um, affect people from different contexts. We do see um, more frequently 
uh, gender dysphoria or questioning uh, of gender in patients who are on the autism spectrum. And autism spectrum um, conditions are often higher with ADHD. And so you really do have to think about ADHD um, when you are assessing or working with someone um, who is transgender. Mm. Liz, anything you want to say about what Ray shared? No, I, I would just add, um, and thank you, Ray, um, for bringing up this important topic of thinking of all the different gender identities in this context and not necessarily mm-hmm. dichotomizing men and women, um, but um, broadening that spectrum to consider all the different aspects of gender. Let's go to Apple Valley and talk to Kyrie. Did I say that correct, Kyrie? Oh, it's Kiri. That's okay, though. Hi, Kiri. Thank you for calling in. What do you want to tell us about ADHD? Yeah, um, this is an extremely important topic in my life uh, currently. Um, I was diagnosed at uh, 33 and um, actually slipped through the cracks like most inattentive little girls and um, found out mostly from my daughter showing really big signs. We were able to get her in after a two-year wait list, and um, she was diagnosed with combined type ADHD. And while we were in her evaluation, a lot of the questions that were asked, my husband and I would look at each other and be like, I don't know whether or not we're asking for my daughter or for me. Mm -hmm. And so a month later, I went in, got diagnosed, and I'm more of an inattentive type ADHD. But a lot of that I kind of wanted to pull back um, to one of the comments about thyroid. I do have thyroid issues, hypothyroidism. And I think that a lot of the times when I would have a foggy brain or be more tired, it would always be linked to my thyroid being off, where my thyroid would be constantly at a level of, a level playing field type of thing uh, or type of situation. Um, I was actually getting that from the ADHD. And so mm-hmm. I do want to kind of mention that, like, you could have both of those things mm-hmm. um, together. And so it is so important that we recognize and we learn so much more about women with ADHD because uh, now knowing that I have ADHD and I can look at all of the smaller symptoms of what was kind of going on in my life, um, I see that I the criteria to a T, like everything just like kind of falls into place. And just in like the last nine months of after getting my diagnosis and getting treatment and using strategies, I have like had an eye-opening experience where I feel so grateful and so confident in myself mm-hmm. and I don't feel as mm-hmm. much shame or anger or frustration. I can let things go a lot better. I can heal some uh, CPD, CPTSD issues that I've had in the past in a more healthy way as well. Mm. So I think getting diagnosed and getting treated is just so uh, important to women. And if you are seeing any signs at all, you should really try to ask for a diagnosis. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, in Apple Valley, that is uh, Carrie calling in, uh, and and she sounds like liberated. Uh, Liz, you assess children and adults for a range of learning differences, including ADHD. Do you find adults uh, coming for an, an ADHD evaluation? Um, you know that that they have children, as 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 as, as Carrie described, that they were bringing in and like, oh, oh that's that's me. Is that common? <laughs> 
Very, very common. Um, I like to say that the um, generation of kids right now is bringing insight to their parents in this regard. Um, ADHD has about a 77% heritability factor, meaning that if you line up 100 kids with ADHD in a room, 77 of them will have at least one parent with the condition, diagnosed or undiagnosed. And so um, it's very, very common to have um, the child be diagnosed with ADHD and in that process, the parent gains insight into their own symptoms and struggles mm-hmm. and then seeks a diagnosis um, and then also finds some of that compassion for themselves, which they then pass down to their kid as well. But I imagine there are some scenarios, too, where there's denial. Absolutely. Um, it can be difficult to see that a struggle in another person that is the same as our own mm-hmm. is is real. Um yeah. Dr. Zaleska, do you see, Zaleska, do you see that also denial? Well, no, no, that no. Yes, I do see it, and sometimes um, you see a conflict between parents. One parent is very mm-hmm. open to the diagnosis, mm-hmm. and then the other one will say, "No, mm-hmm. you know, I was just like that, and I figured it out." Mm-hmm. And you know, they don't really um, like to think of the diagnosis as a as an excuse. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so it is important to do a lot of psychoeducation when you are a clinician <clears throat> with uh, the parents and the child. Excuse me, I'm getting over a cold. Oh, that's okay. And then I, I'm going to pivot you, to you, Liz. So what what advice do you have in that scenario if you uh, are in this parent-child and, and you know situation and you realize you both have ADHD? What have you learned from that? Yeah, I think um, bringing uh, what I call neutral awareness. So um, Mm -hmm. Dr. Zalewska mentioned this kind of psychoeducation, which is looking carefully and thoroughly at the symptoms of ADHD in a non-judgmental context and realizing that this um, is something that um, uh, can be treated treated (laughs) and can open a lot of possibilities for people. All right. And we'll get more into treatment or anything else you want to say about just that dynamic, uh, doctor? I would say it's important to know that the diagnosis is an explanation and it leads to understanding. Mm. And then could you say that again? It's, you know, it leads, it's an explanation leads to understanding and then tells you what you might want to do next. Uh, It's not a sentence that you are, um, you know, you have a disorder and something's wrong with you. It's also does not mean Medication is the only thing that is there to address it mm-hmm. um, because there's a group of people that are very, um, I think, skeptical and afraid of medications. So I just want to put that out that the first step is to understand yourself and then you can decide how you want to approach it. And we'll get to that because you, you wrote a book on it, right? Because I said in the introduction, you're the author of Mindfulness Prescription for Adult ADHD. And we'll get to that, but I want to get to more of these phone calls because uh, so many people do want to share their story or ask questions. Uh, we're going go to go, go to Fargo now where Kyler is on the phone. And again, if you want to call in, we're talking about adult ADHD, uh, a diagnosis of ADHD as an adult uh, did this happen to you? If so, uh, tell us how and how does knowing help you understand yourself better? 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828, the numbers to call. In Fargo, Kyler's on the phone. Good morning. What do you want to share with us uh, about ADHD? Um, Hi, Kyler. Good morning. I am still reeling a little bit from that it's an explanation and not an excuse because for me, I, I've spent the last, I'm 29 years old, I've spent the last decade trying to treat 
what seemed like major depression. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been going through tons and tons of medications with my doctors. And only finally in the last six months have I gone through a full um, psychological examination that determined that for my childhood, my ADHD wasn't really dramatic because I was coping really well. I was really, you know, traveling through my life pretty consistently. But now a lot of the behaviors that I use as a child are sort of derailing my, you know, present day. And so we've been trying to treat depression when now that we've sort of got a handle on my ADHD and we've understood that it's more of an ADHD um, diagnosis that's sort of derailing my day and derailing my week and then month and year, which then leads to depression because I'm not, you know, getting things that I need to do or, or, you know, getting things done that I need to get done. And now, not just with treating it with some medication, but really understanding that, like, some of my behaviors are, like, learned, and they are going to naturally make me feel differently than I I really will. Like, if I really need to do something, I will naturally feel like I don't want to do it. But I can understand now it's not because I'm lazy or because I don't want to or whatever. It's because that's what used to keep me feel safe, Mm -hmm. you know, and now it's not really serving me. And so now that you have an ADHD diagnosis, Kyler, what's different? Um, part of it is, you know, it's a lot of it really just has to do not so much with how I treat, treat it with medication, just the understanding of myself. You know, I think everyone who's going to call in is going to like really firstly say like, I don't feel stupid. You know, I'm actually very intelligent. And that's the first time that I really feel like I can, I, not because I'm lazy or because I'm dumb, it's really because. I have an issue controlling Mm -hmm. the attention or I have an issue controlling the access or the of attention. Mm -hmm. You're likely brilliant. Uh, I would like to think so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, Kyler, uh, there in Fargo. Uh, What do you hear in in his story, uh, Liz? Yeah, I'll just, um, I would like to add this little comment that I um, often say to my clients, um, Kyler, that this concept of both can be true. Mm-hmm. Right. One can have a high level of um, aptitude for creativity, intellect, memory, knowledge, and forget where the car keys are every day. <laughs> Both yes. can be true. One doesn't diminish the other. Mm. And uh, Dr. Zalewska? Um Thank you for um, that story, Kyler. This mm-hmm. is so common that people are treated for things other than ADHD when, in fact, there's ADHD underneath and mm-hmm. often driving to difficulty. Mm-hmm. And um, I often often think of ADHD as a risk factor for anxiety, depression, struggling with substance use, um, you know, struggling with relationships. We know those are more common when you have ADHD. So if you don't address ADHD, it can still keep kind of yeah. making the person more stressed, um, more getting into, into their own way. And it can lead to all these assumptions about yourself. You know, mm-hmm. something's wrong with me or I'm not smart enough. Um, um, you know, I'm lazy. Um, you get those messages from others as well growing up. And then you internalize them often. Um, there's a lot of self-criticism, a lot of shame when you are an, an adult with ADHD. And so um, getting diagnosed can really um, be important in undoing those layers and trying Mm -hmm. to understand how did I cope with it? What is the story that I have about myself? How can I change that story? Um, And how can I stop getting in my own way? Uh, Because now I understand 
you know, what is ADHD. And Kyler, 29 years old, and uh, hopefully on a, on, on a new path, a, a happier path in life. Let's go back to the phone lines in Minnetonka. Nancy's on the phone. Hi, Nancy. Thank you for waiting. What do you want to tell us this morning? Hi, good morning. Hi. Yeah, I was just recently diagnosed um, with inattentive ADHD as a 37-year-old professional. Um, my suspicions arose when none of my coping skills were working anymore. Um, I've always managed but was becoming forgetful. I couldn't stay engaged in meetings. And my 7-year-old was actually starting to say, will you write a sticky note because you're going to forget. Um, I was never, I was never suspected as a kid because I was quiet. I played well, listened well, all of those things. Um, but looking back, I hated to read. I was a good reader, but was slow. Um, I still have to read paragraphs over and over, um, because I just forget my mind wanders. Um, my senior year of high school, I wouldn't read my AP English books or assignments with getting cliff notes, um, And when I look back on all of those experiences through college, high school, I was a high-achieving 3.9 GPA dean's list. Mm. Um, But I had to work so much harder than all of my peers. Mm -hmm. I failed calculus. I got a 9.10 on my SAT twice. Um, I failed psychology. And I was sitting in the front row using office hours, all of that. And I just couldn't follow it. I couldn't, the reading and all of it was so much for me to retain Mm -hmm. that it was really challenging. Um, When I went to start the process to get a diagnosis last year, my practitioner actually misdiagnosed me with anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I tried meds for two months. um, And I knew at that point I didn't have anxiety because meds weren't working and nothing was changing. Um, So this year I pursued an ADHD diagnosis and it's made a huge difference. I started the meds a little over a month ago. And it's pushed me over the plateau of my, my coping skills. So some of the tools that I use regularly are microtasking. And what that means, um, I use Kanban boards or JIRA for my job. And so in my daily life, I try to break down my tasks into smaller tasks. So instead of clean the garage, it's put away power tools, sweep the floor, hang the bikes. Um, oh. Or instead of clean the kitchen, it's unload the dishwasher, mop the floor, sort the mail. And it provides this dopamine hit that makes you feel more accomplished and Mm -hmm. less overwhelmed when there's so much around you that you have to process and keep track of. Um, And actually today, our seven-year-old son just received an ADHD diagnosis. And rather than looking at it as an excuse, I'm really excited that it's going to give him a completely different childhood experience, Mm -hmm. adolescence, college, if he goes to college, professional experience than I've had for the last 30 years. Wow, Nancy, that was a lot. And what you shared there. Yeah, but it's all it's it's all positive, right? Because you you sound very, um, um, I don't know, how do you describe how you feel now that you know what it is? It, you know, reflecting back, everything makes sense. When I got the diagnosis and the validation, it, it someone just said it as uh, um, who was just on. You don't feel dumb anymore, or you don't feel stupid. It's you actually. There's a reason why you're a slower reader. You're you're well versed. You have the vocabulary and the comprehension, but you're slower to reading. I'm not a good test taker, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's because it required me to hear and retain all of the information and put that to use all at once. Um, And that was really challenging for me. And so moving forward, 
I am excited to have this little bit of an aid. Um, so I, like, as I said, I started medication. Have this little bit of an aid to help me stay focused and continue using the skills that I've used. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still trying to figure out the right dosage, but I think it's a great tool to have, not a crutch, if you will. Yeah, Nancy, thank you so much. And I just want to share my appreciation for your seven-year-old son and, and guiding yes. you through this and, and, and communicating yes. with you. And, and I hope things will go well uh, for him as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, Nancy Minnetonka. Uh, Liz, I'm going to start with you sure. because uh, in your work, uh, you, you help uh, people with uh, what to do. So let's talk about, well, first what, what Nancy shared, but we want to really talk about, okay, now you got the diagnosis. Now what? How mm-hmm. do we treat it? How do we manage it? So what do you hear, though, in Nancy's story? Yeah. Um, thank you, Nancy, for sharing that. And um, I, I appreciate especially this kind of combination of mm. a high achieving girl who's ambitious and doing her best and yet struggling mm. um, with things like reading and test taking and things Silently. like that. Silently. Both mm-hmm. can be true. Yeah. Um, in terms of next steps, I usually like to describe what's called a support menu. And I use these words carefully because I like to um, allow um, for this option to try different things and see what works for, um, for each individual. The clinical research supports four different support options or treatment options for people with ADHD, um, medication, coaching, therapy, and mindfulness. Um, And so lots of different things that people can kind of pick and choose and mix and match along the way. I liked how she described uh, approaching chores. I'm not going to clean the garage (laughs) because that's just like, where do we begin? Well, Break it up. She, she called it microtasking. I'm going to put away the rakes. I'm going to sweep the floor. That that's a tool, right? Mm-hmm. That that you have you found that that helps people? Absolutely. And the dopamine uh, response to successful completion of a task that she yes. referenced is a very real thing. Right. And um, uh, Dr. Uh, Zaleska, as we look at managing and treating ADHD, um, you know, what do you, what do you share with people? Or also, too, what do you hear in, in Nancy's story? Um, one thing that stood out for me is that um, she was diagnosed with anxiety first, and mm-hmm. that's a common story. And mm-hmm. anxiety is one of the most common things that travels along with ADHD. Mm-hmm. And anxiety can affect focus. So it is a bit of a, you know, a challenge when you have anxiety to decide when you're a clinician, is this ADHD? Is this anxiety? Oftentimes, it's both, actually. So when it comes to treating it, you might have to treat both. Um, and um, she said her anxiety medication didn't work, but the ADHD medication helped. Right. So I think sometimes as a clinician, we have to decide what we think is most um, significant right now. Is it the anxiety? Is it the, the perhaps depression or ADHD? And treat that first, and then come back and say, is it working? If, you know, if if the person's still struggling, we have to go back and say, well, maybe it's not anxiety and depression that's driving this. Maybe it is ADHD. Uh, oftentimes, if the anxiety is in the picture, but it's more mild, what I find is that if you treat the ADHD, anxiety gets better. Mm-hmm. But medications that we use for ADHD, they're called stimulants. And um, in medications like Ritalin or Adderall, they can actually increase anxiety for some people if there is a true anxiety disorder alongside ADHD. So sometimes you have to um, treat anxiety before you can uh, treat ADHD, if that makes sense, because Mm -hmm. you can tolerate the medications better then. And we should note, many people are aware uh, Adderall uh, has been dealing with severe shortages, um, and so that certainly has to add stress to the stress. 
Definitely. We've had shortages now for over a year, and mm-hmm. it has put um, a strain, a um, significant strain on adults with ADHD, families with ADHD. Um, adult shortage um, has led also to some shortages of other medications because people started um, looking for uh, an alternative to Adderall, looking for, you know, what else can we try? So uh, among stimulants, we have medications like Adderall, but we also have medications like Ritalin. Those are are different categories of medications. And so some people would switch from Adderall to, let's say, uh, Ritalin-like medications. Um, What happens with the shortages is that um, patients often have to call pharmacies. They have to um, shop around Hunt. and look right. until they find something. On the clinician side, we have to rewrite prescriptions, resend them. Um, you know, if a patient is going to multiple pharmacies, then there may be a bias that the experience of suspicion, you know, from from uh, mm-hmm. um, pharmacists or or even clinicians, you know, that I just send you a prescription and you say you can't fill it. So. Unfortunately, there's still that. There's a bias, and if if there are roadblocks to getting treatment, um, they can amplify the the challenges that the person has in getting their ADHD treated. As I understand, some of the shortages um, are because it's a bit of a perfect storm. Uh, There are manufacturer manufacturer, uh, delays. There are uh, quotas from the FDA that limit how much medication is produced that are based on historical data, And now we have this unprecedented increase in diagnoses of ADHD, Mm -hmm. particularly in women. So it's it's a little bit of a perfect storm. And what I understand, uh, the shortages should get better at the end of this year. That's the promise that by December, some of the Adderall shortages will be mitigated. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's hope. Uh, equally important is, is for us to talk about the research that you've been doing, uh, Dr. Zalewska. You've researched and written about mindfulness practices as a way to manage ADHD. What do you mean by mindfulness and, and what does this like, look like? How does it help? So mindfulness is a uh, approach derived from meditation traditions, and it is um, a skill. It's a, it's a training to bring attention to the present moment. And you may ask, how will that help with ADHD? Uh, but mindfulness um, really teaches a person to start observing attention, um, to catch yourself when you're distracted, and to bring it to what you intended to focus on. So it's very much attention awareness training. Also, as you practice mindfulness, you learn how to move attention inward and start noticing your thoughts, your feelings, your reactions, um, habits. Uh, so it becomes um, a training in self-awareness and self-regulation. And it, it sounds like a little workout for your brain. It's very much a workout for your brain. It's like training the attention muscle mm-hmm. uh, when you do mindfulness. And, you know, mindfulness can be, is very versatile. It can be taught in different ways. So you can do meditation practice. You can do meditation class or retreat. But you can also apply mindfulness briefly in your own life. I actually think that the latter, the mindfulness in daily moments, is is very helpful for ADHD. It's this shift of attention, um, you know, anywhere, anytime, um, to sort of notice how am I, what am I doing, um, am I focused on the task I intended to focus on? How am I feeling when I'm mm-hmm. trying to do something? Am I overwhelmed? Am I uh, avoiding something? Am I overwhelmed by emotions in this moment? So it becomes a tool to check in with yourself and then have a choice about 
you know, what, what's next? How can I respond? And people can take classes. You can yes. seek out classes that will teach you the, the way to do this. Uh, there are mindfulness classes. There are many apps available mm-hmm. uh, now um, that you can connect with. Uh, there's some apps that uh, are geared specifically for um, working with ADHD and also incorporate mindfulness in that. So it's um, there are different tools. You know, I think it's helpful to also have another person, like a mindfulness buddy, mm-hmm. someone that you can talk about mindfulness with them, keep being motivated. Just like exercise, mindfulness can be difficult. Like, you know you're supposed to do it, but you it's... You know it helps. It's good for <laughs> you, but you have to plan and, and be intentional right. Intentional about making time for it. All right. Uh, back to our listeners. Thank you, uh, doctor. Thank you, Liz. Uh, in Minneapolis, Sophie's on the phone. Hi, Sophie. What do you want to tell us as we talk about ADHD, particularly in adults? Hi. Thank you so Hi. much for having me. I'm so glad that you're having this conversation. Um, well, I want to share, I have ADHD. Um, But I'm also a midwife, and I got really interested in understanding the menstrual cycle, how to track it. And one of the things I started to notice was that for me, when I started tracking the menstrual cycle, and by that I mean not just my period, but all four stages, Mm -hmm. I noticed that my ADHD symptoms started to shift with it. And so then I got really curious, like, is this just me or is this a thing that's happens for other people. And I started doing research on it, and it was really, really interesting to understand that there's actually a really profound connection between the changing hormones of the menstrual cycle Mm. and neurochemistry. Hormonal Um, changes, okay. Right. Yeah. So really understanding that, you know, these estrogen and progesterone fluctuations that are happening can impact our neurotransmitters in our brain, which we know are involved with ADHD symptoms, which is why, you know, medication is a really good support tool for some people. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so this is all during the pandemic. And I was just kind of like, totally mind blown, because I've known about ADHD for a long time. But what I started to notice was among the women I worked with, they were the ones kind of reporting these really intense cycles. Um, well, Sophie, let me let and, ask our, our guests about yeah. this. And Liz, you're nodding. What, what can you tell us about hormonal changes in ADHD, particularly in women? Yeah, so starting off with the concept that dopamine and norepinephrine are the neurotransmitters in the brain that primarily facilitate executive function, attention, focus, organization, all the things related to ADHD. And Dopamine is uh, estrogen is a primary modulator of dopamine mm-hmm. in the brain, and so changes in the levels of estrogen are going to directly affect changes in the dopamine levels that are available for that frontal lobe network to communicate with the rest of the brain and manage that executive function. Mm -hmm. So specifically, when estrogen levels are lower in the cycle, uh, the monthly cycle, and during perimenopause and menopause, um, uh, dopamine levels are going to be lower and ADHD symptoms are going to exacerbate. Anything you can do about it, though? Um, Some uh, individuals work with their prescribing provider to adjust their medications um, associated with the changing cycles. Some uh, people work um, on managing their hormone fluctuations and things like that. Um, But I would defer to Dr. Zalewska on that. Um, Doctor? Yeah, we definitely see the changes with uh, the hormonal cycle. So I really appreciate um, the caller bringing that out. This is very important for women. 
And um, oftentimes we will um, increase the ADHD medications uh, temporarily during the mm. two weeks or right. particularly one week before the uh, menstrual cycle. So depending when the woman is feeling um, the difficulties, um, sometimes, you know, taking some supplements can help with the uh, menstrual cycle symptoms. Um, and there are other medications that we can use during that period as well, like antidepressants. So um, it's really important to actually assess how much um, there is that relationship for, for the woman between their uh, her cycle and ADHD. I also um, want to second what Liz said. <clears throat> Menopause is often a time when women come to be diagnosed and treated. Oh, because we need one more thing going through <laughs> menopause. Great, doctor. <laughs> Um, yes, uh, you know, as women, we can commiserate on that. But it's women who coped, right, and did well throughout life. So they had ADHD, but they had enough supports or or strategies. They really start struggling during menopause because now the brain chemistry is changing. And uh, now they're really feeling like something's wrong. Mm -hmm. I, I need to figure this out. In our last 30 seconds here, Liz, any advice for family members, close friends uh, to support someone who may have ADHD? Yeah, I would just say um, uh, increasing awareness and the education aspect of what ADHD can look like and really asking the person what they need and mm. how um, these symptoms might show up for them and how that individual can be there to support the person because it's going to be different for everyone. Mm -hmm. and, and doctor, do you have any any advice too? Um, I think self-compassion, which is mm. you know part of mindfulness, is really important. Um, to be kind to ourselves. Yes, and, mm -hmm. and and undo, I think, the self-criticism that often travel mm -hmm. with ADHD. All right. Well, thank you so much. I have learned so much. Thank you to our listeners who called in. Uh, I, this has been a phenomenal conversation, and I appreciate that the time that you were willing to devote to it today. We've been talking with Liz Adams, a neuropsychologist and a woman with ADHD. She owns and manages Minnesota Neuropsychology. And we're also talking with Dr. Lydia Zylovska, a psychiatrist and associate professor there in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Minnesota Medical School. Her book is The Mindfulness Prescription for Adults. ADHD. This conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom. We'll talk again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.